This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. The narrow escape took place on August 11th, 1765. It was mid-morning, and the dew had not yet dried from the meadow grasses lining the banks of the river Desje, where Marie-Jean, a 19-year-old young servant, and her younger sister, Teresa, were walking on their way to the community tithe farm. Wisely, Marie carried with her a spear of significant length, one end coming to a point with a sharp six-inch by one-inch blade, according to chronicler Abbe Pierre Poucher. As Marie-Jeanne and Teresa strolled along their familiar river trail, their guards were both up. Both had heard of the deadly attacks ravaging the countryside, and a terrifying unknown beast responsible for the brutal slayings of primarily young girls and women. Needless to say, Marie kept a tight grip on her spear as the girls proceeded along the banks of their route. The path and surrounding forest shrouded in a heavy mist, making visibility extremely difficult. Suddenly, Marie-Jean heard a rustling in the bush beside her. Before she could properly think, the beast jumped out of its hiding place, mauling the two young women. The beast leapt for Teresa's throat, but Marie, thinking fast, thrust her spear up into the chest of the monster throwing it off of her sister and causing it to howl in agony. According to official documents, the beast placed a paw over its wound, yelping continuously. It rolled several times into the river and disappeared from the girl's sight. La Bête, or the Beast, has become one of the most illustrious and horrifying series of slayings in all of French history. The reign of terror lasted over three long years and the identity of the beast has never been conclusively proven. Join us on Into the Portal for a horrifying new mystery set in the windswept highlands of France. The Beast of Guevdin. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, yeah. To yet another week. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, another Sunday, another episode. Love it. And we're really excited about this one. It's exciting. It's a good one. Yes. Another listener-suggested episode. That's Thank right. you to Aaron over in Australia. This is ripe for the pickin', And Indeed. we didn't even know about this, hey, until he mentioned it. Yeah. No, I had never heard of it in my entire life. No. Um, always learning something new every week, <laughs> every every month with this doing this show and in this genre for sure. Yeah. But we have a little bit of housekeeping before exactly. we get started. Exactly. Before we get into all of that fun stuff, um, we've actually got a new episode for our Patreon yes. members. 
So all of our lovely patrons over there on the site, they are going to be getting a brand new mini-sode. Yeah. Not even really a mini-sode. It's kind it of, ended up being kind of like a full length, but that's okay. It's all good. <laughs> and it's really cool. Like, we actually got a mystery involving the U.S. military, World War One, and the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another thing I want to address too was this whole Fran Drescher thing. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone way over. So many people got it though. Oh, like, they did. So many people reached out and they totally got it. I, I thought it was more it. obscure to be honest because I never heard about it until it got brought up. Right. Specifically to, to me. <laughs> but thank you everyone. You know, we had a buttload of response and mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be sending out all the stickers pretty quick. We're just waiting on a fresh shipment we're yeah. actually getting our logo like our record our actual like black and light <laughs> like black and white itp logo so yeah. it's gonna look really cool yeah so mm-hmm. we're really pumped on that we just have to wait for them to come in and then we can send them on out to you yeah yeah um hmm. what else do we have here oh there was one other thing well there's a few things here. Sorry, we're just going to rip through these really fast. But I did want to address again uh, that we've had a lot of response in um, relation to that negative review that we discussed last week. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone in our community. Seriously. Because you are so lovely. And I had a lot of people put in their two cents about this guy, this reviewer. And I, I, yeah, I guess it did kind of border on the trolling side of things, perhaps. But anyways, we, I just wanted to say thank you, especially to Helen over in the UK. Um, And she sent me over this really cool article. uh, It's an NPR article, and it discusses the policing of young women's voices and the issue of gender politics in radio broadcasting and podcasting, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'll have that posted to my personal Facebook if anyone wants to take a look. We're not very political. Well, we we try to be neutral. yeah. Yes, on the show, but I do want to post that because I think it's important like to every young person out there. Well, there's a lot of young female podcasters out there too. And and they, they, yeah, they deserve to do what they want to do and they don't deserve to be hammered on it because their voice isn't nice and silky yeah. and manly or blah 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 I don't know right. anyways not 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 like my voice is uh, silky and manly <laughs> by any means by any means but it's kind of brutal like I was looking into other couple shows with female hosts and a lot of the feedback is very similar where it's like yeah. nails on the chalkboard this is grating I can't listen to these voices it's like mm-hmm. they're everyone has a voice and you can't change your voice so yeah. Sorry, society. Anyways. Anyway, but thank you again (laughs) to everyone that reached out. It was really great. It really was. Thank you. Uh, Another exciting thing, we're going to be re-releasing all of our past episodes on YouTube. Yes. We've got this really sweet new overlay that's like, it's it's like a record spinning around and it's got this cool, like, you know, that grainy sort of scratchy quality that records have. Um, So we're going to be re-releasing all this on YouTube. Um, Every week there's going to be another one up and we're going to be trying to do some commentary on what we thought about the episode. Yeah. So there'll be a little bit of extra footage in those. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. So look forward to those. We'll be posting it to our social media, our Facebook, and obviously to our YouTube channel. So Mm. yeah. And then last but certainly not least... A big shout out to Adam Benedict. Yeah, man. He, uh, yeah, of the Pine Barrens Institute. He gave us this really sweet review on Facebook. And he it did. just, I made me so happy and just warm and fuzzy inside. So Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess just a few things on Pine Barrens itself. It's, um, PBI, so Pine Barrens Institute, is an online cryptozoology slash cryptid reference site that is based out of Janesville, Wisconsin. 
Um, the focus of the site is to document and help spread information pertaining to the folklore, legends, stories, true accounts and involving like well-known and lesser-known cryptids throughout the world. So it's, it's really, really great. Work. It's it, really great. Isn't it? Yeah. Like it's really well done. I yeah. love the layout of their site. It's, it's And we'll have the link for it on um, uh, the page for this episode and everything. Mm. So yeah, make sure you guys go go check that out. Yeah. Yeah. So big thank you to him and also to Cryptid Wendigo, uh, another cryptozoology blog. Really cool. We've been in contact with her all week and it's yeah, we owe a huge thank you to you for providing so many details for this episode. A lot of it's sourced from Poucher's uh, Beast of Guifdon, which is a very great source for this episode. Yeah. So thank you to all of that. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) The Beast. <laughs> now, we were going to pull up an audio clip for that because uh, Amber and I love the movie, What We, uh, what what we, we Do in the Shadows. In the shadows. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The darkest place in my the- mind is reserved for the beast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't but in all that. seriousness, though, this is a pretty, I mean, pretty cool story. It is. Pretty gruesome. Definitely got some historical elements to it. Mm-hmm. And let's get right into it. So we are talking about The Beast of Guavdan. Or La Bête. La Bête. I feel like I'm going to probably switch back and forth in what I refer to it as throughout yeah. the show. I like La Bête. La Bête. And you do get that uh, feminine um, I, exactly. identity, right? right? Yeah. So that's really cool. A lot of people do refer to the beast as a she. Right. So again, another sort of similarity I did to notice the, that uh, in a lot of blogs and stuff um, covering this topic. Yeah, it's referred to as a she. Mm-hmm. So what is this thing? Well... We don't exactly know, but what we do know is that it is a ferocious beast of unknown origin, unknown type, coming from who knows where. It basically only attacked the human species, killing individuals and allegedly drinking their blood and, of course, feasting on their flesh and multiplying its carnage from day to day. So this situation just kept on getting worse over a period of three years. Mm -hmm. Hunters who were in pursuit of it have never been able to stop it, hadn't been able to stop it. And it was basically because they, it just outwitted them. Mm-hmm. Um, it surpassed them in cunning, and uh, nor were they able to engage it in combat because it basically uh, presented itself to them, but it was too terrifying in appearance for them to... Uh, it weakened their courage, and they weren't able to actually deal with it. <laughs> this is basically like... the knees. Yeah, and that, that's me um, paraphrasing from a local newspaper in 1762 mm-hmm. in the south of France. So... Yeah, I mean, this is this was all happening in this very small little town, this area called Guevdon, and this is in the south of France, and it all sort of really came to a head in the summer of 1764. Um, now, this province is known for its rugged highland landscapes framed by awe-inspiring Massif Central, which is just mm-hmm. like the, the terrain of the area, I guess. Yeah, right? it takes up... Roughly a third of the interior of France. Right. Massif Central. Massif Central. I really want to go see it now. I know. I re- oh, wouldn't that be so it's, cool? It's separated from the Alps by this riverway, but it's almost as impressive. Not almost as impressive. I don't know. Like, from the pictures, it looked pretty impressive. But Indeed. We need to go traveling. <sighs> I know, right? You need to make some more money. <laughs> go traveling. <laughs> but yeah, this is some of the most rugged, unforgiving, and deep forest and swampland in France. And it's sort of mixed with steep volcanic rock outcrops and jagged mountainscapes and things like that. So lots of places for a creature to hide, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Some have actually referred to it as sort of the backwater of France. And that's sort of how it was known back in the day, back mm. in the in the, um, in the 1760s, for mm-hmm. sure, because of its accessibility to most... Inaccessibility um, in, most yeah, well, yeah, lack of accessibility, inaccessibility. And then, obviously, at that time, an extreme lack of development. So these people were 
mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, living in the wild. Basically, um, yeah. In, in a lot of ways. Like, it was a village that was established in the sense there's, like, blacksmiths and people there. But it's just tiny villages. But it's small. And yeah. it's agricultural. They're grazing. They're herding. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I actually... The Highlands themselves were very... Uh, it was a huge obstacle for travel um, north-south in France up until, like, the mid-20th century when they built the first highway going through Crazy. there. So it was, like, the first point of accessibility. That is insane. Isn't that? So yeah. you're just going up rugged mountain paths with, like, a donkey and a cart before. Like, that was yeah. your only way of, like, getting anywhere. Uh-huh. And then you had to watch out for the beast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I have a little, just a one little quote here to give a to give an idea. This is from uh, Jay Smith from um, the Smithsonian Institute, and it says, um, quote, uh, the region had a reputation for being remote, isolated backwater where the forces of nature had not been fully tamed, where the forests were indeed enchanted. Mm. It was definitely a place where something strange uh, could, could could take place for sure. J.M. Smith, eh? He comes up quite a bit in this episode in our research. I mm-hmm. came across a book he wrote called The Beast of Guavdon. Uh, sorry, yeah, La, I think it was uh, called The Beast of Guavdon, The Makings of a Beast. Yeah, I or believe. La Bet, The Makings of a Beast. I oh, think there's yeah, a few yeah. different um, versions of the title or oh, whatever, okay. but yeah. But he, yeah, he's very uh, well-versed in the subject. Another thing to point out that, um, you know, history buffs will definitely be aware of, but France in the 1760s was not exactly in the best shape. And that's just sort of a point that I feel like should be made. Mm -hmm. 1764, kind of in miserable condition at this time. So obviously a monster coming into play anywhere in France was sort of the last thing that anyone needed. The Seven Years' War had just ended recently, and France had suffered numerous defeats. Um, they kind of got their butts kicked by the Prussians. If you think about it, though, like uh, that's interesting. You say that a monster's the last thing anyone needed. Honestly, it's in a lot of harsh times, an external enemy is the best thing for a society, right? Because you guess, can rally yeah. around it, and True. people come together in their fear and stuff. And that's a, it's. Tired. I guess it's just how you look at it. I guess what yeah. I mean by that is just the fact that the country just itself is already on. kind of not yeah. doing great, and no, then I you're get getting that. slaughtered by a monster. Yeah, um, I guess I'm thinking more so of Jay Smith's um, argument that a lot of these sort of political, cultural. Um, just sociological conditions um, in France at this time created what they thought of as a beast when it could have just been a pack of wolves is kind of his argument. But he takes a skeptic perspective. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So back to Guevdon, this is where it all starts, right? So um, something terrifying, unexplainable began to happen. And uh, yeah, it's been described in many ways, leading to many different interpretations of what exactly this monster could be. Um, but the only real general consensus was that it was just that, some sort of a monster. A monster. Yeah, a, a bloodthirsty monster, to say the least. A lot of people considered, like, especially the peasantry, thought that this was the dreaded loop Right. The werewolf. So something supernatural a little bit and uh, a humid uh, beast hybrid, if you right. think about it, right? Because yeah. that comes into play in a lot of the theories is like a hybrid creature of sorts. That's interesting, though, right? Because that's a little bit more paranormal. Um, kind of is ringing bells as from our last episode, hey, with the a Wendigo bit, and stuff. And a transformation, perhaps. Yeah. Also thinking of Anthony Hopkins, yeah. <laughs> even though oh. that was London, whatever. Some people hated that movie with Hopkins and... Yeah. Um, I didn't mind it. I liked it. Oh my gosh, what was it? Benicio. I just like the time period. Yeah. Yeah, Benicio del Toro, yeah. I mean, werewolves have obviously had... They have such a rich history in Europe, in Western Europe and in France, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was obviously... Uh, 
I mean, obviously people are going to think that this thing could possibly be that, right? Probably. Well, especially since it had a seemingly insatiable appetite for human flesh. Yes. And it wasn't going after livestock. No. It seemed to be much bigger than a wolf, too. And it had weird physical properties, things like talons. Right. Like, so massive claws. Yeah. Um, reddish hair with a white fluffy chest usually described. So you get fluffy, that kind of reminds me of a wolf kind of thing, maybe bear. Um, you get small ears usually described, um, obviously razor sharp teeth, usually four in total. So that almost reminds me of a lion because you know, when a lion opens his mouth, usually you just see the four big ones. You don't see all the tiny ones. Yeah. Uh, there was also descriptions of, um, like a dark back. So almost like a darkened mane going down the spine. Okay. Yes. And a long tail. So not a stubby tail, not like a hyena or anything. No. And not like a fluffy tail, like Like a a dog or a wolf. So very confusing. And the other thing too, right off the bat is like talons or claws. Anything canine doesn't have that. Or they won't have significant ones. Like, it's they not have like them, but they using. don't use them to tear mm-hmm. their stuff apart. They exactly. use their teeth alone, you know. Exactly. Like. It's bizarre, though, too, because the attack style, which we'll get into in a second here. But, yeah, so just another, yeah, I guess we kind of covered all of these. So, you get red coloration, a lot of descriptions, more hair around the face and neck. Yeah. Um, But a lot of these are very, they're snippets of descriptions because people were so scared or they were in, say, low lighting at nighttime or in heavy rain or mist shrouding it, whatever. Yeah. So they didn't really have time to take a complete stock of what it was. But it was terrifying and it was large. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) By most accounts. The one thing that I thought was interesting is the fact that you get a lot of um, descriptions of reddish color. Yes. But then in a lot of other ones, you get gray. Yeah. So I feel like that has to do with lighting time of day or something like that. I mean, or is it two? Maybe there are a couple. Or are there multiples? Yeah, Yeah. that is definitely a possibility. Yeah, because there's a lot of deaths, like a lot, a lot, and that's it was pretty spread out. Spread out and lasted over a three-year period. I mean, it's and it did. Like we said in the very beginning, it was in Guevdon, this like specific little province. But there were neighboring, I can't remember their names on the top of my head because it's all in French, but neighboring provinces too in the same highlands that experienced the same thing. Yeah, totally. There were the sightings spread, and yeah. The spread was pretty far and there's like in one documentary we watched, there was like six zones they kind of identified. Mm-hmm. And there was one other article I read that I never brought up to you or put in our sources. I was like, what is this? There was some guy trying to make an argument that you can take the type of volcanic stone that you find in areas and correlate that to the type of attacks. What? I know. And I was just like, I started reading it and I was just like, I no, 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 no. Mm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, no. I just, 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 no. Just, no. That's, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to ask any further questions there. (laughs) I know. So the beast's reign of terror really kind of, it really culminated and began in the summer of 1764. And it actually began with something that didn't end up being fatal. It was just uh, kind of the... An incident. An incident, yeah. With the attack on a young woman who was tending her cattle, and this was near the Merquar, Merquar forest. I did Google that, um... And it's uh, it's like a national part of a national park or something now. You can go visit it. Anyway, mm-hmm. it looks really beautiful. Cool. But she was tending her cattle near this forest um, when she, like many of the stories begin with, heard a rustling in the bushes mm. and ends up seeing this massive beast emerge from the trees. She got a clear look at it before several of the bulls in uh, the field she was in 
obviously were getting startled themselves and actually had, like, charged it, scared it off. Hmm. Apparently, this thing circled back around and tried to make a second attempt at her um, with the bulls once again circling her first and then scaring it away. Interesting. Um, Which is kind of interesting because it's like, do cattle and... the bulls normally do that. I mean, they I've will. definitely seen that for their for their young, right? Well, they'll circle something, or whales will do that too, like other mammals. And I things, feel right? like if they consider you in the herd, then they will right. do that. Right. So if they obviously thought of this girl as part of them. Yeah, and she did testify later on that she what she saw she thought looked to be wolf like, but with small ears and a flatter dog shaped head, a long hmm. tail, reddish fur, and extremely long jagged teeth. Hmm. So elements there Long that, tail. yeah, yeah. So that's where right on. Yeah. That's the first instance of that report. And that would, that would come up over and over and over again. The long tail. I'm, I'm trying to imagine, like, I, I'm picturing almost like a mastiff style tail. Where it's like, um. Where it's more like a rope or like, like a long lab and or, strong you know, yeah. where it can like smack stuff yeah. off. Like not like a. Or it could be like a big cat, right? Like. Yeah. Like a panther or something. ABCs, baby. <laughs> Saving that for the theory section. Well, she's a lucky girl, hey? She's she really is, because the next uh, instance wouldn't end up uh, with... So, well, yeah, the ending wasn't so positive. <laughs> um, the first fatal attack um, happened on a 14-year-old girl. And actually, technically, it was just shy of her 14th birthday. She was a resident of the village of Saint-Étienne-de-Ludare. Ludare? Oh, man. Saint-Étienne-de-Ludare. Lugdare. That's as best as sure. I can do. So this good. was just shy of her 14th birthday on June 30th of 1764. And the parish priest of um, the little of the, of the area recorded her burial the following day and attributed her death to La Bette. So La, Bette was, La Bette Ferros. So this atrocity was... So basically what happened is she was just mauled to death. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she was torn apart. <laughs> I wonder if she was decapitated, because that's, you get a lot no, of that. No, no, she was not. No. So, th- so that ends up being one of the uh, commonalities of lots of these attacks. Mm. She was just straight up shredded. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> shredded and gnawed on a little bit, and that's about it. Lovely. Yeah. So this was, again, followed shortly after by a 15-year-old girl, uh, one mu- just, just under one month later, and she was slashed to bits. Um, and apparently she choked out her last words when she was found and she, she told the people that found her that it was the beast that had done this to her. Creepy. Indeed. And that was just the beginning. Um, we did mention that the beast tended to favor young women and girls, but, um, in a neighboring province, there was actually a young shepherd boy in the same month. He went missing while he was tending a flock of sheep. By the time his body was found, there was only a few shreds of clothing and partially eaten remains. It was becoming increasingly obvious now to authorities that there was... There's a lot of killings going on in the interior, in this highland region. And, man, September and October, but September especially was a bloody month. There was four victims claimed. Uh, The last of them was actually a 36-year-old woman. Which is interesting. Yes. The attack, it took place at dusk, and she had, it was literally steps from her doorway. Man, and so she, she got. That sucks. Yeah. I w- that's brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the first week of October <laughs> was pretty harsh, too. So, so yeah, moving into October, the incident started to kind of move, move north, northwest, towards the mountains of 
help me pronounce this, Amber. Mm, I'm going to say Marjorie. Marjorie. And began to terrorize um, the peoples of Saint Chalet, Saint Alban, and Malzu. <laughs> good job. <laughs> I'm trying really hard with my French. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so what is particular, particularly disturbing about all of this is just how the beast would go about attacking its victims. And I mean, we've we talked about this even with like the ABC episode, the big cats and stuff where there would be animals mauled, not really eaten, just sort of gnawed on or whatever. <laughs> but the thing with the beast is it seemed to deliberately aim for the neck and human necks, okay? Ripping apart its victim in order to satiate its thirst for blood, basically just feasting on the neck. Hmm. And oftentimes um, the bodies would be found decapitated. So many Oof. of them would be found fully decapitated, no head to be found. And in one instance, the skull was found at a fair distance from the body and it had been cracked open like a nutshell with the brains licked clean. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's... I mean, those are very specific. And that's not like that was just one instance. Like there was this multiples. Yeah, yeah, there's a pattern of this. That is very crazy. Like the whole decapitation thing and going for the neck, that is characteristic of a wolf. Uh, they do tend to do that because they like to break the neck of their victim. Right. But then they eat the rest. They do. They don't it's, just... It's weird. Okay, so it's not, it's not natural. No. And the most unnatural part of it was that, yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of the times the bodies were covered back up with clothing. Sometimes the, the decapitated head would be placed back with the body, like arranged on it or next to it. Um, as well, um, another few noted attack styles was um, relocated organs, missing organs, presumed eaten, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Um, okay. Obviously, the partially eaten aspect, uh, gnaw marks on the outer body. All of those could be attributed to animals finding the body after and um, going to town on it. You know, right. just um, opportunists. That actually makes perfect it sense. It does make perfect sense. So it's kind of hard just given like you know the um the remote nature of the subject how far removed we are in, mm -hmm. in history from it like you know whether that could have been determined all of these were actually from uh, cryptid wendigo i just wanted to say thanks yeah uh, she had a source. really really good uh uh do or documentary <laughs> powerpoint <laughs> she had a powerpoint it was yeah. really helpful um and she actually did a presentation on it at a cryptozoology conference which is really cool, cool. Yeah. very cool yeah. but yeah no that is a good point though about like just what would what what would the capabilities have been um back then in terms of like analyzing what had been yeah. what was gnawing what like definitely hunters were adept with like you know knowing what a track was and presumably like bite marks too but or if it's a mauled corpse it might not always be like from a forensic is. perspective like easy to tell because you would think, yeah, the same if, there's, if there's blood everywhere already, like, you could possibly determine if a body was eaten after death because the blood wouldn't be there, right? Right. So you wouldn't get that, what is it, post-mortem, um, I can't remember what the blood coagulation thing is. But yeah, maybe. like, it would be, yeah, it's in a different state. So yeah. it's like you can tell when it was, yeah. So I don't know, but... Anyways, anyways, yeah. The head count did, uh, though, continue to rise uh, in that year in 1764. And basically, the local authorities were kind of getting pretty on edge because this was becoming a serious issue. Like, people were scared. People um, were panicking. It was, yeah. It was panic. And wanting to avoid even more so widespread panic throughout, like, you know, expanding into other villages and stuff, yeah. the local authorities and some local, well, 
not locals right there, but aristocrats from neighboring places of larger populations decided mm-hmm. to take action. So Etienne Lafont was um, a regional government delegate, and he kind of joined up with Captain Jean-Baptiste Dumel, who was the local... Duhamel. Uh, du- sorry, <laughs> du- sorry, Duhamel, not Dumel. A leader of the local infantry. Um, I believe that's correct. They basically organized the first counterattack of the beast. Um, mm. And They had it uh, all, like, plotted out. They had, like, different trenches and different, like, areas they were going to go into and strategically yeah. kind of try and flush it out. Yeah, like, they, they sat down and, they, yeah, they mapped this all out. And apparently, allegedly, at one point, the number of volunteers to actually fight and find the beast rose to 30,000 men. I feel like that has to be an exaggeration. I feel like that's got to be an exaggeration, <laughs> but I mean, even so, like even if you that's cut like all it, of France, even if you cut it, that's like <laughs> all of France. <laughs> Everyone's out there with their pitchfork. Everyone. I mean, even if you cut a zero off that, like that's a lot of people. This is totally just I like thought you just said. Even if you cut his ear off, not cut a zero off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like whose ear his... you cutting off there? That's Angle. totally like a lost army of Cambyses scenario, though, right? Like it's like fifty thousand, or is it five thousand? Or was it five hundred? Or is it five hundred? <laughs> or did it not happen at all? So, anyway, so Duhamel organized these men and basically, yeah, used military tactics. Um, was one of the things. And that's like we just said, like they plotted out spaces. They were going to basically try to funnel the beast and flank them and try to trap them so they could kill it. Or her, mm-hmm. rather, I should say. Mm-hmm. They also left poison bait, which I think makes way more sense. Mm. Why wouldn't you? That that should be your plan A. Right yeah. There. Well, what about um, all the other livestock and things? Well, I guess they wouldn't be eating meat, though. No. It could be strategic. Yeah, well, the poor other wolves and meat eaters mm. in the region might not fare so well, but, yeah. uh, I mean, small price to pay, I guess, for these people. Mm. They also um, put forth a reward for killing the beast, which uh, eventually, at one point, had, it, it kind of, like, it increased more and more and more because nobody was able to kill it, and mm. until it equaled, apparently, a year's working man, a year's salary for, like, a blacksmith or a, a tradesman <laughs> in France, which I don't know exactly what that would have been, probably not... Uh, not a crazy amount of money, but enough to live, obviously. Oh, I know that Cryptid Wendigo had that amount listed in her PowerPoint. Uh, I didn't make a note of it, though. That's okay. We'll have to... We'll post it on the Facebook page. Yeah. But it's kind of crazy. So you have, like, 30,000 men out in the forest looking for this thing, supposedly. Uh, and they did manage to supposedly track it down at several points. But a lot of the times, heavy rains or mists or darkness, um, the beast was able to elude them. And then when they thought they had it cornered in several instances um, and they were shooting at it, because guns were actually quite rare at this point in France. Like, if you had a gun, you were like the one dude in the neighborhood that had the gun. Right. And we'll get into that again with Jean Chastel, the alleged killer of the beast. But... Apparently, this thing escaped the bullets unharmed. Yeah. And so people thought there was a supernatural element. They thought it was not a fully... Like, it was like a metaphysical creature. Like, some sort of demonic entity that was just stalking them. Well, that reminds me... I, I mentioned this again last week, I think, with the Wendigo. But the uh, the beginning of the experience of the family at Skinwalker Ranch, where they were shooting the wolf and not, they wouldn't do yes. anything. Yes, yes. It just was just chilling. Totally. No effect. Uh, just to make another point here, to just <laughs> counter that, is um, guns were also notoriously... Um, not inaccurate, accurate. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you didn't really know, yeah. It's not like going. it's a point blank shot or anything, yeah. like, we don't really know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Unless you're Jean Chastel, the best hunter in all of Guafdon. But I just we'll love saying things with a French accent now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oui, 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 oui. oh, baguette. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, what was interesting about these early hunts for the creature it was sort of a mix of like people's intentions of how they were actually going to kill this thing. Because like you just said, some people thought it to be supernatural, either some sort of a loop guru or like a demonic entity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't, I haven't done enough research just on the loop guru itself in terms of like the, what's the word, not like the philosophy behind it. Like if people think of that as a, some sort of a demonic entity like someone's possessed therefore they're aware you know what i mean like it's they're a werewolf because they have you know what i mean like it's not like yeah. a creature that just bites you and you become a werewolf i i don't i don't know the details of that but uh, I, yeah while the official report was that they were searching for a massive eurasian gray wolf yeah the actual opinions of the people searching for it kind of varied for sure I, they I thought honestly, they were searching for something supernatural exactly but i feel as though the official like statement in the official report that it was a, a gray wolf was to calm people's superstitions because yeah superstition was pretty rampant at this time mm-hmm. and even like uh that jay smith he makes the comment that there was a lot of it was a very transitional period and people were the the limits of possibility had greatly expanded in scope there was a few we were heading into the scientific revolution and there was like sort of this widening of people's imaginations uh, to a certain degree and yeah. that included the making of monsters so yeah, a lot of people were thinking yeah this was a supernatural crazy demonic thing and i feel as though the officials were trying to quell that a little bit yeah so. even if they believed it themselves well right? exactly yeah <laughs> that's that's kind of what i think that's is. almost like it reminds me of the official narrative for the u.s government in relation to um, extraterrestrials and and contact with ufos and things like that yeah they don't want to incite panic. They just want to keep to a status quo to a certain extent, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. Because um, things like this create instability in a society. And I did make that point that you, an external enemy might be helpful to sort of garner people and, and gather them together in a united front. But we'll see an alternative version of how this wolf could have been used as a tool by people who were against the crown. Yes. So we'll get into that in our theories. Got a, a snoring dog in the room right now. <laughs> we have a beast right here. Beast. beast. Well, I was playing with her the other day, and she literally sounded like a freaking monster. She didn't sound like a dog. <laughs> we're gonna catch that on. We're gonna record that, and we're gonna post it. Yeah. Like, what do you guys? <laughs> Special think bonus footage. <laughs> <laughs> Identify that animal. <laughs> Seriously. So where are we at here? We're getting to the end of 1765. The Beast has already claimed 65 victims. And that's just reported victims. Like, mm-hmm. that's, like, on record, documented, definitely 65 people were killed. A lot more uh, injuries, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yes. potentially other kind of, like, kids and things like that that just went missing, never to be recorded because they were even, you know, more remote, like, super poor yeah. peasant people, right? Not I mean, everything got documented. No. Even though not. there was quite a good... Um, national historical record going on in france at this time and there was for sure yeah a lot of yeah. this stuff was documented and passed along but interestingly the most famous case of la bête or the beast of guevdon uh is known as um the maiden of guevdon so this was a young girl and we covered this in our dramatic intro so this was the case of uh marie uh what was her name marie jean and then her sister Teresa. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because in this account, when they went and actually related it to the authorities, they weren't able to sign the document, that the statement of the attack, because they were both illiterate. Really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, they, they, the young girl was just a servant. She was 19. 
and her younger sister Teresa was about 16 or 17. Gotcha. And like we mentioned in the dramatic intro, uh, they were walking um, to the community tithe farm. So that's a place where everyone in the community goes and they do their contribution. You know, like in the medieval mm-hmm. era, everyone in the medieval era. Well, everyone kind of worked the land, right? <laughs> they and did. They sort of like, it, it was, was like a common communal. land. Yeah. Exactly. So everyone had to, it was almost like a tithe is like a tax. Right. It's like a farm tax. So, yeah, so this was very interesting. They were obviously aware of the beast and all these attacks are happening. They're the most vulnerable part of society. So, wisely, Maria's carrying this spear with her. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. So, she, the story goes, obviously, like we covered, she, the beast did a surprise attack, leaps out of the bushes, and she thinks fast and it goes for her sister, but she manages to thrust it right into the chest of the beast. And the official story goes that the beast hit clutched at the wound with a paw, which is weird. It's very that's, human-like. That's strange to me. Yeah. That almost reminds me of someone in a suit, you know. Or that's half if it, human. We discussed this, too. The idea that it could have been a human in disguised in, like, a, the skin of a big cat or a big wolf. And you kind of made the comment, you're like, oh, yeah, that thing's barreling towards you on all fours. Like, no, it's a bipedal creature. Like, how are you going to fake that? Right. But if these were surprise attacks where it's just leaping out of the bush, how do you fake the teeth, though, know. in the town? I mean, yeah. Anyways. We'll, we'll come back to that <laughs> so in the <laughs> section. But, yeah, so this Marie-Jean, she... She fought it off, fended it off. It went into the river, like rolled into the river. Yeah, so the like story she stabbed goes. it and it kind of went down a little bank or something. And Yeah. And when they were questioned, they described the beast as being the size of a large farm dog, gray with a white chest and a black back. And its front was bigger than its rear. That kind of reminds me of a lion. That reminds me like, more of a... Like thin hips on a lion mm-hmm. and then like the big chest. Mm-hmm. Almost like a um, adolescent lion, though, because if it has like the bit of the mane but not the full mane, you know what I mean. Or it could have been a female lion. Actually, no, female lions don't have any mane. Never mind. <laughs> no, they don't. But, but yeah. Anyway, the the best part about this whole thing is the statue. Yeah, I, I, that statue's epic. Yeah, it is, and like, cause she, cause she was basically like, I mean, she was um, she was known throughout the whole country after this. Yeah, like, she was like the second after. Joan of Arc. Yeah, like she was given, um, she was like it says right here at the bottom. You added the stone. It was crowned the maiden of um, of Guavdon. Of, of Guavdon. Yeah. yeah. I was so cool. the king's royal gun bearer was the one that bestowed that name upon her. Right. And they, I don't know when the statue was actually erected, but it's a pretty old looking statue. It doesn't look new. No, no. It seems like it would probably be, would have been in the 1800s would be my probably. guess or something like that. And it's very much like she, it, it, it seems accurate to the story where mm-hmm. she's almost like it's down on one her. and she's thrust like that leaning down, almost kneeling down and thrusting it up mm-hmm. and, uh, pretty and the beast epic. Is up on two feet. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's really cool. The The statue itself is in a churchyard. It's in Auvers, France, um, in the windswept plains of Auvers. <laughs> I love that description. Yeah. That was from a blog that I came across. It's like, oh, dang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So Marie-Jean, like, her story, that's incredible, right? Very much so. She saved her sister and herself. Well, and this is, and, and just the fact that, like, we have hunting parties of, like, Duhamel, who is, like, this is his job. Like, he's a wolf hunter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, infantry leader, military guy. And, 
you know, allegedly 30,000 men, let's just call it 3,000. Mm-hmm. And they were struggling. They couldn't, they couldn't. But maybe they needed better tactics. They were going about this in all the wrong way. They had an offensive. They needed to lure it out. They mm. needed to have trickery and deceit involved. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like in um, the history of Labette, um, by Poucher. I can't remember. I think I butchered that title. But anyway, something history of Labette. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, there was this one letter that was written that was basically saying it was pleading to the crown to use more of these sort of trickery methods where they basically said, take straw and make up a woman's figure, dress her in woman's clothes, the accoutrements, the jewelry, the yeah. everything. In this model, insert livers so like livers of cows of sheep whatever with poison in them and essentially put these all over the woods and then wait for the beast right. to attack right and, and you'll and yeah and then and i said they sort of did elements of that i guess with the poisoned bait or whatever but true yeah they I also if they I, actually tried that or I if wonder, it was just written. Well, I did come across an account that, like, they definitely did... I don't know if they did the straw dummies of peasant women or whatever, but apparently they did dress up the some of the men as women. <laughs> did they? Yeah, so, like, they were armed. <laughs> no and way. And they're dressed up as peasant women. But they wouldn't you know, smell to be like a, women, though. No, but they would look like them, yeah. presumably. Or they would smell like them if the clothes did, I right? I guess. But I mean, like, like pheromones. But they would smell like human, and that's all that really matters. If you smell like human and you look like a female, maybe that would be more likely to be, to, to provoke an attack. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. Yeah, definitely came across that in a couple of sources. But uh, but Duhamel and this other the other guy that I mentioned a, a little earlier there, they didn't they weren't really getting the job done. No. So they were basically like they claimed that they had killed that one gray wolf, and that was the beast, and then the attacks just continued. Yeah. So. Um, they had that stuffed and sent back and it was just like, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really, uh, didn't it was really interesting out, though, but... because it was a very good mechanism for calming the widespread panic as yeah. soon as that, well, sorry, did we get to that part? With um, the, uh... I don't know, actually let's, Oh, never mind. Sorry. I'm We're right here right here. now. So, so Duhamel gets replaced, um, as the head of the hunt and Louis XV would end up sending two other of his professional wolf hunters, Jean Charles and Marc Antoine, uh, geez, Marc Antoine, um, <laughs> Vaum... just say Marc Antoine, Marc Antoine <laughs> and his son, Jean Francois. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So they're sent to Guevdan. They arrive at the Claremont at in Claremont Ferrand, which I guess is just like a neighboring region. On February 17, 1765. So they brought with them eight bloodhounds that were trained specifically in wolf hunting. And then over the next four months, the pair hunted for specifically Eurasian gray wolves, believing them to be the beast, like we mentioned earlier. They did manage to shoot a large gray wolf um, that supposedly, big massive air quotes here, ended the killings um, until... A mere two months later. Yeah. Okay, so sorry. That's what I meant. Yes. So once that initial wolf was killed, the first killing, yeah, it really calmed the public. Right. And people, it wasn't appearing in headlines. because so that was an important thing. Like, the press was a big factor in sort of spreading this yeah. panic. Yeah. And they latched onto this headline like crazy. Well, how could just, you not? Well, exactly. Yeah. And... Yeah, so it is funny. Um, so the gun bearer that killed the wolf... His son ended up parading it back to the capital, right. to Paris, and it was stuffed and everything as per royal wishes and whatever. And they, 
yeah, the, the king was quite happy and, and it, all's well, it ends well for about, you know, until they realized months later that, oh, wait, wait, no, we didn't solve this problem. Yeah. So. <laughs> so it, kind of brutal. Like, yeah, so the sprees obviously continued. We're up to mid um, 1765, I believe. Yeah. So. And there was, yeah, there was this one account from the history of La Bête de Guevon. And it was, this was also pulled from the um, cryptozoology blog put on by Cryptid Wendigo. So thank you. Yes. And this reads as follows. <clears throat> the lament over this child says she was devoured and expresses itself as follows. At the wood of St. Martin, a young shepherdess was suddenly devoured in the arms of her father. In order to defend her, he made thousands and thousands of efforts. At last, he had to give up. The girl was taken to her death. Creepy. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was creepy. But anyways, uh, this is where we kind of get into the Jean Chastel aspect of things. Yeah. And this guy, he lived in Guavdon. We've mentioned him before. He was one of the top hunters in the area. Also an innkeeper, too. And he had a... A son by the name of, oh shoot, I can't remember if it was Antoine Chastel, I believe it was. I think you're right. Yep. And he helped him run his in and probably maybe helped him with a few other things. Mm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> allude. Mm. But so Jean Chastel is the one that came face to face with this large gray wolf, as he described it. Yeah. Dangerously isolated in the steep forests of Tanzania. Uh, it was actually steps away from his own house, Jean Chastel. Okay. So he ended up killing this creature. He shot it. Right. And supposedly put an end to the terror of the beast, but really we've had people come out and say, like even Cryptid Wendigo said like, well, he did kill something, but the attacks did continue. Something was still out there. Yeah. Which in, in her mind, she kind of alludes to the fact that there might've been more than one predator, uh, out there. Right. Well, the fact that the fact that they continued after it allegedly was was killed, and also the, just the spread over three years makes me think that there's more than one mm-hmm. potentially because yeah. that's a long time. It is a long time, and especially if it was wounded by Marie Jean, like you know, like that. Yeah, definitely. That I don't even. How would you survive that if you get stabbed in the chest? That's pretty. Brutal. You have to be a, some sort of a supernatural creature. Yeah. But this is where it gets kind of interesting, because the Jean Chastel is a bit of a shady character. Not shady, but he's just, like, <laughs> he's shady in the sense that there's even a Wikipedia on him. <laughs> <laughs> we know nothing about we know this guy. nothing. <laughs> just a few tidbits here and there. Mm-hmm. But by the end, well, when he shot this thing, it had killed over 116 people. There was many hundreds more of injuries and yeah. other sorts of things. And this included men, too. It was mostly women and children, but there True. were men that were attacked as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people were basically, you know, wh- the location where they were attacked were often, like, the bodies were moved, mm-hmm. like, picked up and moved, like, picked up in the jaws of this creature and physically carried away. So even, <laughs> even like, you know, even a, you know, a child of 15 or 16 that weighs 100 pounds, you, you got to be, a, a wolf is, would be dragging that, you know what I mean? Not picking it up. That's, carrying that's it. That's a good point. And the reason I say that is because there were no drag marks. Yeah, that'd be pretty obvious. Or blood trails or in, whatever. In a forest, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Anyway. Okay, so, you know what's inter- even more interesting mm-hmm. about this Jean Chastel? Because I was talking to Cryptid Wendigo about this, and she was saying how 
because I was curious, like, hey, so this guy killed something. Obviously, there's a body. What happened to it? Was it stuffed? Was it sent to Paris again, like the first one? So she said what happened was that Jean Chastelli killed it. It He kind of had it sitting maybe like for a bit and then he started to parade it around the countryside and there's no refrigeration back then. So it just got to the point of decay where it wasn't even recognizable. It was. So he said it was a big gray wolf, but I don't know. And then this Chastel again, like he is implicated in some of these theories. There are some people that think that his son actually trained the beast and was a bit of a psychopath and set it loose upon these unsuspecting French uh, nationals. Nice. So that's another one there. But well, that would make sense for this thing from Crypto Windigo that Labette basically, like we made the point that it didn't really attack yes. livestock. It almost had an aversion to cattle and livestock. Like not just that it wasn't interested, that it straight up did not want it was anything gross, to do and with it. And it avoided it. Yeah. So um yeah, she she basically wrote that it's been suggested that she, being the beast, mm-hmm. um had eaten some calves and smaller livestock, but when it came to attacking things the same size or larger than them, she had a great aversion to it. Hmm. Labette would avoid cattle as much as she can or could and has never been reported to have uh, spat blood at them when they get too close. So it's like... What? Never reported? Sorry, has even been been reported. So And that sounds demonic, (laughs) doesn't it? That's that's, that's something. How do you get blood in your mouth? Are you already eating something and you just spit it out at them? I don't know. That's definitely... Most herders um, would basically say that, yeah, that they, yeah, I don't even know, that they, that, yeah, they, 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 this was not an issue. It was not an issue of Labette coming in and all of a sudden, like, all the sheep are dead, yeah. like, just for fun, you know what I mean? Or all the cattle are dead, just for mm-hmm. the heck of it, just for sport, <laughs> you know? Which would be creepy in its, it's own right. It's interesting, but... the more livestock there are in the area at the time of the attack, the higher um, likelihood you are of surviving. Yeah, yeah, bizarre. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You would think it'd be the opposite, where it's like you are a target if you're around. Um, totally. You know, vulnerable animals with, that are defenseless, essentially. Yeah. Except for bull, obviously, with their, their horns. Yeah. Ah. So, yeah, we're kind of getting down to, like, the the theories here. Mm-hmm. Discussed um, the predominant cases, some of the... I don't even know. Like, yeah, some of the ridiculous um, letters that were sent to the official effort. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I mentioned that one about the, yeah. the nukes vomica, poisoned uh, livers and all that stuff. <laughs> it was pretty funny, though. It was like this quote. Let me see. This is pretty long here. I don't want to do the whole thing. That's okay. But it says here. <laughs> um, so they're, they're dis- like, I don't even know, like their supposed suggested solution, I guess you'd call it, okay. was, yeah, to make a model of a woman, which is, quote, which is, which is then dressed up in the clothes and ornaments of women. You then insert a calf or livers, a sheep's liver into the model. Into each liver or other flesh Labette is known to like are tidbits, all poisoned in advance with nux vomica. It is known that nux vomica should be as big as a denier, which I don't know what that is, mm. plus some more broken into smaller pieces, assuming Labette has four feet. The dose is perfor- proportional to the size and strength of the animal, and if it does not have four feet, you lower the dose. Assuming it has four feet. Yeah, that's weird. That hey? is strange. So crazy. that kind of comes falls back into the idea that it was a werewolf or it was a changeable sort of creature. Yeah, it could go from bipedal to quadrupedal whenever it, was, it wanted to. It was Labette by night and a person by day. And that does actually come into play. There was, uh, oh man, 
where was that? I think I forgot to actually include that in our notes, but there was, there was testimony from women who had seen monsters dressed in men's clothing. And there was this one woman who was walking along the street and it was like at dusk or kind of at night. And she walked past this man that was very strange and his, his shirt was open and it, it was just hair. Like, just, like, fur. Like, not hair, like, as in a terry chest, but, but like, like, like literally, fur. like, fur, like a werewolf. And so that yeah. was where people, like, I don't know if that's just, like, you know, part of the folklore sure. aspect. yeah. But very creepy. Very interesting. So that kind of wraps it up for the story part. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into some theories, but yeah. first, got a little promo break. Yes, we do. Who are we featuring this week, Andrew? Well, today, uh, yeah, this week we are featuring um, promos for two uh, different podcasts that are uh, dear friends of ours. So, yeah, uh, the boys over at Cryptonaut Podcast and also uh, Toby and the team over at uh, Secret Transmission Podcast. Mm -hmm. So take a listen and make sure to check those guys out. Alrighty, both great podcasts, so make sure you go check those guys out. Definitely. But now we're moving into theories. We are. Yep. And we're going to start off with the boring one, (laughs) the skeptic's perspective. Yeah. And this basically comes from the premise that the beast was probably just a bunch of wolves or just one wolf, maybe, that was particularly nasty. It could have been a massive Eurasian gray wolf that was just particularly insane. So Um, this comes from Jay Smith, uh, Monsters of the Guadalupe, Making of a Beast. And essentially, he argues that there are tons of precedents in recent French history for similar things that were just caused by ravenous wolves. So this is a quote from him. He says, in the century before the crisis in Guévaudan and in many other regions, sorry, many other regions had experienced panic-inducing assaults from ravenous wolves. The terrifying habits and profile of that later killer, i.e. the beast, including its alarming preference for women and children its propensity to decapitate, and its alleged supernatural abilities and malevolent designs all had ample precedent in French rural experience. And he mm. goes on to, quote, cite a few different cases from the ni- from the 1600s, 1650s, 1690s, in Limousine, a few other um, areas. But to me, that doesn't really cut it. No, I agree. Because, just, it, well, the thing with, yeah, like, obviously we know that at this time it's kind of like rural populations, it's not established towns, so they're kind of living in the wild, and there were wolf attacks, mm-hmm. like, for sure. Even but though, they were very, they, they were identifiable. Yes. That the, people knew. They were yeah. very familiar with wolves. Yeah, they hunted them. Yeah. Like, they, they would hunt wolves. Mm-hmm. Just for, you know, and eat them, <laughs> Just too. for kicks. Well, and, <laughs> no, yeah, and that, too. For the pelts, for everything. For sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these people knew what these things were, obviously. And uh, just I just seems... don't know, like, for three whole years, I feel like for that to be the case, it would have to be, like, extreme starvation. Like, why would these mm-hmm. wolves, right? And if that's the case, too, then you'd be going for livestock. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Why easier. would you be attacking humans? It almost seems like it's for sport, right? It's a challenge. Right. And once again, that doesn't match up with canine per- personality traits either. That sounds much more feline. Mm. Killing for sport. Yep. <laughs> and that's one of my favorite theories is yeah. the one we'll get into in a second Definitely. here. Something interesting of note here, though, like we've said multiple times, like most of the victims were really young. And in the first year and a half of 79 of the cited cases, 63 out of that 79 were under the age of 20. And that was male and female. Mm. Um, and this was for the spring and summer where most of the attacks were, attacks were taking place. And this was kind of like, I guess, 
you know, optimal for the beast because this is when the rural populations would be doing working in the fields, the vineyards, outdoor pursuits, mm-hmm. things like that. And also, well, all spring, not so much summer, I'm thinking like, well, you're heading to fall, you kind of want to fatten up and make sure if you are going to any sort of hibernation. I wonder if we never actually looked at the spread of like when the most attacks took place as far as seasonality. Did you ever come across anything like that? Not really. Like, no? they, they definitely happened throughout the entire year, though. So it's not as if this thing went into hibernation, like a no. bear or something. No. Because there's these attacks went into late October, November. Hmm. A hibernating creature would have already been working its way into, yeah, yeah. on yeah. the down, on the decline from at, around that time. On the decline. But then this, this was another interesting thing, too. So basically, there was this study done um, by John D.C. Linnell. It was published in 2002, I think, in a book that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first section of the analysis basically con- considered the attacks um, in two in two ways of thinking about it. One, in the, in, <clears throat> excuse me, that the beast was a wolf. So they were basically taking all the attacks and just counting it as a wolf. Mm-hmm. And then also looking at it in comparison to wolf attacks. So the, the ones cited as the beast, they were oh. taking them separately as beast attacks and then separating the rest of what would be clearly not the beast because they were described differently or okay. they were clearly Didn't wolf match attacks. Up. Mm-hmm. Basically, like this cross comparison showed that the beast data, the beast's data showed a drastic shift towards a higher age. So oh. the the grown-up victims of the beast, so obviously it was attacking women and children, but when it did attack grown-up victims, they were way they were they were more adults. So they were older older than the age of 16. So they basically what the study shows is that the creature that's being attributed as the beast is significantly larger than any of the other wolf attacks being reported. Interesting. And that the that the, the that the victims were often carried by this creature. So like I made that point before where hmm. there's not they're not being dragged, they're not being like you know pulled apart and sectioned off and moved in smaller sections of body to be eaten somewhere else or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're literally picked up in the jaws and moved in, as one in the solid jaws. object. A, maybe. Presumably. Or in Could the arms. Been, exactly. <laughs> if, you if it was a person. If it's a person. Because I'm just trying to think of like all the people, all the sick sadists out there that could have been piggybacking off of the beast, right? And committing murders and basically maybe they're in positions in society where they can turn around and be like, oh, oh, we got another beast attack, we got right. another whatever, and just like, just brush it under the carpet, so to speak, with that. Yeah. So I just, just to finish that off here, just the quote was basically like, the victims of the beast were older on average and therefore able to defend themselves more powerfully. And that's not including like the 14 year old girl and those types of attacks, but the age range 16 and up. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that, like, obviously they would be able to defend themselves more, but from the perspective of the beast, they'd be heavier and more lucrative mm, attack, like more meat. prey, mm-hmm. right? So interesting. Yeah. I I'm, I wish we could do like a modern day analysis on the teeth marks to determine if there could be any sort of determination on a species. Yeah, like from the profile, from like you know what I mean. Oh, I know. Ah, that's so frustrating. frustrating. Of course, there's no like, <laughs> fo- like photo evidence, obviously. No, or anything like before. that. They could have made a mold potentially, but yeah, if you're, if you're a shredded victim, it's kind of hard to do. I mean, yeah, 
and poor the poor wolves, right? Because this was all just being attributed for the most part because the the authorities were saying that it's wolves, right? To avoid mm. widespread panic of a monster or whatever. And so between 64 and 1764 and 1767, there was over well over a hundred wolves were killed in the region mm. of of Jouvetan. Half a dozen of these were thought to be the real beast. But then, obviously, the victims just kept on piling up. So, obviously, they were not. Yeah. Yeah. So, wolf, eh? Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I'm off. I, I do not think that this was a wolf yeah. or a pack of wolves. What about an ABC? The ABCs. An what do you think about that? Baguette. Well, we are in the right neck of the woods of France. We're in the highlands. Okay. Um, we get descriptions of really large, um, really large like feline-esque sort of body shapes, right? Like we mentioned the bigger front versus the narrower back. Long tail. Long tail. Talons. Talons. Claws. Claws. Long teeth, like a lion. Yeah. Um, And we're in very mountainous terrain. So... Yeah. And, and, and just, again, we've, we've said this before, but just to reiterate, people in the area at the time were well aware with the physical appearance of wolves. Yeah. And they wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, it would it, just be like us seeing a deer. Be like, yeah, that's a deer. Yeah. You're going to question it. You, yeah. you you see something, it's familiar, you go, you know it. This is obviously something that was not familiar no. to these people. Definitely not. Yeah. And even things that weren't from the area, like, were familiar to them, though, right, too? Because of just, you know, because people were traveling throughout Africa and traveling wherever and they there was naturalists that were documenting these things so it's like it was common knowledge to know what a lion looked like or mm-hmm. an elephant or a giraffe and like things like this right mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting because well a lot of people will say well there's been suggestions that it's a hyena that it's a lion that it's a panther so you get multiple big cats I would say most likely a lion because you do get these descriptions of like a mane type thing which matches up with an adolescent lion, right? The well, red exactly. coloration. Think, for all you back at home there, just think of the Lion King when they're doing the Hakuna Matata song and they're going across like the waterfall or they're on like a log going across a waterfall mm-hmm. and you see um, Simba in his awkward phase where he's like, he doesn't quite have a mane, but he's got some weird like wingy type of stuff going yeah. off the top of his head. It's so funny. But anyway, yeah, like so people might not have been familiar with that version of a lion. So right. therefore they might have not attributed it to a lion so you get this sort of discrepancy there uh, there was a researcher though a biologist uh carl carl hans tucke yeah right Tucke. yeah so a biologist and former academic assistant at the university of osanbruck northwest germany and he wrote his doctoral thesis on the on on behavioral ecology basically hmm. um yeah, it's published in zoological papers and things like that. He kind of takes this approach, Yeah, right? he yeah. believes it to be a lion. Um, so I'm going to read this quote from him from a National Geographic article. <laughs> and he's certain of it. Mm-hmm. There can be no reasonable doubt that the beast was a lion. Namely, um, a sub-adult male. Oh, okay. Um, sub-adult. That's yeah, so like, so almost, almost a full mm-hmm. adult, I guess. Not right? quite there. Yeah. Um, the description of size, appearance, behavior, strength, it all fits together. The comparison of size with a bovine animal, flat head, reddish fur, a dark line along the spine occasionally occurring in lions, spots on the sides of the body that appear especially in younger lions, a body that becomes conspicuously sturdier uh, from the rear towards the front. So that's, again, mm-hmm. multiple yeah. um, accounts of that. 
a tail which appears to be strangely thin. Mm. So definitely. With a tassel. With a tassel on the end of the tail. Enormous strength that allowed the animal to carry off adult humans and to split human skulls, as well as to jump nine meters or more, so 30 feet. And that's something, that's a stat that we came across in the Alien Big Cats episode, obviously. Mm -hmm. That was a clear indication of of a cat. You can jump 30 feet. Yeah, (laughs) that all fits. (laughs) Yeah. For me, that's very compelling. And it's interesting, Take actually thinks the beast perished not because it was shot and killed, but because it probably consumed a bunch of the numerous poison baits that people left in hopes of protecting themselves. Right. And he thinks that it was a lion that escaped from someone's private menagerie, since keeping exotic animals was once thought of as luxurious and fashionable at the time. Like, you know, French. Can you just imagine that? It reminds me of, like, Marie Antoinette or something. Oh, yes, just yeah. the, the lavish excesses of whatever. But that's the same thing that we talked about in the Big Cats episode, and it's just, like, the outback of Australia was a little bit more, made more sense for, like, a tr- like you know, a sav- like a cat from the savannah. You know, like, well, does it not get cold in the south of France still? Like, in yeah, this region in the highlands, it's still going to snow. I'm assuming, I'm assuming if you have a lion, you have pretty much everything you need. No, I'm saying, but if it's escaped and it's lasted for three years, oh. how is this thing surviving the winters? Well, you, you create a den. Maybe. Remember? It just Remember? seems like it would get a little brisk <laughs> for a <laughs> lion. But it, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It's not like a lion's a reptile. Like, they are able to heat their, themselves. It's not like they were. I know, but they're from a place where it would never get... <laughs> I, we, I mean, what... Stop putting holes in my lion theory. Anyway, okay. no, no, no. In Take's lion theory. I definitely think that the, the description definitely makes yeah. the most sense. And even George... Uh, or, sorry, Jean Duhamel, the original hunter of the beast, he wrote in 19... Or, sorry, 1765 that, quote, This animal is a monster whose father is a lion. It's, it remains open what the mother is, end quote. Weird. So he's kind of suggesting perhaps a hybrid. hybrid. creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The father, hey. That's interesting that he says the father and not the mother. Like. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Then, of course, we have this, uh, the paranormal element. So where the idea of a werewolf, werewolves in Europe in general. And obviously we know that since the Middle Ages, the stories and legends of werewolves have just been super prevalent throughout Western Europe. Um, but... Could this have been a resurgence of some sort of an ancient beast? Like, several hundred years before, I mean, I don't even know. Like, is this is this something that happens on a cycle or something like that? You know what I mean? Like, mm. we don't have accounts of it from hundreds of years before the 1760s, but... That's actually interesting. We should do more research into French mythologies of Loup Garou. That would be a really cool topic to mm-hmm. just focus on. No, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Future <And> I, episode. <laughs> I also would be curious just to look back at like, yeah, into the four, like, you know, the, the 15th century, yeah. say 15th, 16th centuries to see if there was similar, you know, a similar monster or anything like that. Mm, yeah. Way less documentation, obviously. Harder to dig that up. But if there was, then it would obviously be an indication that maybe this is more cryptozoological because yeah. it could be something that's surviving out there and it's happening every once in a while over a few hundred years or something i don't know what do you make of the werewolf angle i like the werewolf angle because it would describe or uh, would account for the predominant human victims like we did mention that there were some young calves and livestock that might have been 
might have been victims of the beast. It's so unclear as to whether that was the beast or it was another large predator, like another wolf in the area. Who knows? Not as if. But you would think, though, if there was this one apex predator of the beast that was much larger than any other known animal, you would think, because, like, we cover this in the alien big cats, where they mark their territory. And if it's theirs, it's theirs. And if you are in there, then you're, you know, you're going to be devoured or whatever, Mm -hmm. killed off. So, to me, if... That might... I don't even know. Like, it's kind of... There's a lot of ambiguity in that because... Definitely. Who knows? We could be suggesting this is an alien big cat. We could be suggesting it's not. Maybe it's another sort of hybrid of sorts. Or this werewolf idea, but... Obviously, they wouldn't have been, like, looking necessarily for, like, scat either. You know what I mean? Like, for marking territory and stuff like that. Um, Especially if they were thinking it was a gray wolf. Like, they wouldn't be... Yeah. They might walk right past something that would be analyzed nowadays as, like, panther scat or something like that. Perhaps, yeah. Um, Sorry, I didn't even really answer your question. The whole werewolves, like, that... Yeah, like I said, that would explain probably human victims. Would explain maybe... The covering up of bodies, like you could go serial killer with that as well, but you could do that with like, oh, like maybe he kills out of lack of control and then realizes after the atrocity that it committed and tries to kind of give the victim a bit more b- better burial or better whatever. But that didn't happen for all of them. No. Which makes me think that this is a combination. Possibly. But we've got more, more little theories here. Yeah. Oh, here. Sorry, this is where my quote came in here. Okay, so there was this one account of a woman. This is a quote here. She was on her way to mass, and she saw a beast man in the form of a wolf with brass buttons around the throat, as if the wolf skin were an overcoat that had been buttoned up over a human form. What? In another reported case, a woodsman saw a large shaggy shape running along the ground on all fours. He said that it had the shape of a man. In yet another account, a woman, also on her way to Mass, was accosted by a large furry man who walked alongside her, but who instantly vanished as soon as she screamed the name of Christ. She said this was a sign that the creature had either been the devil or one of his agents, and she was sure it was a werewolf she saw. End quote. Interesting. That was from werewolves.com, but very interesting. Yeah. So wait a second. So let's go back to that first one there. It was like, a beast man in the form of a wolf with brass buttons around the throat, as if the wolf skin were an overcoat that had been buttoned up over a human form. So that would correlate to the idea that there is someone dressing up and there is someone parading around that is perhaps a sadist or a serial killer or whatever, and they're using... Using a costume yeah. of, some, of sorts. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, how, how? difficult is it to fool rural I know, right? French people. I don't know. <laughs> and this whole the, the woodsman like... one too. A large shaggy shape running along the ground on all fours. He said it had the shape of a man. How does it have the shape of a man if it's running on all fours? Well how how does a man run on all fours though? Like how do you fake that? Have you ever tried to do that? It's no. not easy. No. Maybe when I was really young. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, Let's go try. <laughs> okay, we'll do it right after this. We'll film it and put it up. We'll tweet it. You guys can go check it out. So, yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's just not a ton of evidence. It's all circumstantial evidence, obviously, for the idea that this thing was potentially supernatural, like a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact, like, mostly, yeah, attacking humans, some... Well, that one earlier quote that you heard the line where it was like, if it's on four legs, use this much poison. It's mm-hmm. like, what do you mean if? Yeah. What do you mean if? It's on, 
what do you think it's this debatable. thing is? Like, Apparently. it's like if well, it, if you're trying to poison werewolves is having two. And obviously, this might have been before the. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, when did it come about that you needed a silver bullet? Oh, I you know what I mean. It. Like, where is that? Just like a folkloric thing that developed more recently in the last few hundred years. Another thing to research, or if anyone knows that, please. Yeah, reach us. out to us. I mean, this is obviously not a werewolf episode specifically, but but there's werewolf elements. Definitely, where I mean, if you Google werewolf France, the beast will come up first. Yeah, for sure. Like so. Oh, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, it escaped me. Oh, well. That's okay. We can come back to it. Yeah. So then the other uh, section here in the theories was, I mean, we're, we're kind of, yeah, we're getting into more. So we're still on the hybrid route. We're still on the hybrid route. Yeah. So a hybrid animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most likely option would obviously be some sort of a trained dog-wolf hybrid. Mm-hmm. And there were those who um, put out the idea, and this one I think is a little bit more out there necessarily than just a hybrid, but a hybrid army of oh. dog-wolf so, like, multiples, oh. right? Like, the idea that there was a pack of wolves. Well, how about a pack of trained hybrid animals? Well, that goes into the one of our last theories. Yeah. It was conspiracy of sorts. So, the repeated attacks and the description uh, being not quite like a dog and not quite like a wolf, but something else. Obviously, yeah, it makes sense that this would be some sort of a hybrid. Although, it's, like, for me, the size thing. How do you... I mean, hmm. how, how is it that much bigger than, like, a gray Gigantism. wolf? Because, like, gray wolves get yeah. big. Like, they're, they get to be quite large. Mm-hmm. So, I don't even know. Some have suggested, though... I'm trying though, to think, like, Irish wolfhound, maybe. Yeah. Like. But those things are so, like, skinny and, like, not even, like... Yeah. You know? Like, they're almost like a deer. But he went more mastiff route, then. Yeah. In the book... Well, the 2004 book, La Bête de Guadon, by Herve Boyak... <laughs> Um, <laughs> talks about a trained hybrid creature, possibly a hybrid of a hyena. Oh. So this hybrid assumption is based on the description of it being sort of semi-canid, uh, of the semi-canid creature that was shot in 67, June oh, of, okay. of 1767. Um, it was said to have sort of strange morphological characteristics. But you know what that reminds me of too? Just recently, like a couple months ago, we posted, um, there was a, in Montana, there was a wolf-like creature shot, remember? And there was like this whole, it was like oh, a couple of weeks yeah. of it being analyzed. It ended up just being a wolf, mm-hmm. but it didn't look like one at all. The ears were different. The snout was a little bit more snub. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was uh, mm-hmm. more, more dog-like, I guess, like in between a wolf and a, and some type of dog. Right. So people were like, what the heck is this thing? Like, I don't know. But that's, this description kind of makes me think of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the only thing for me that doesn't match is like the tail thing. No. That doesn't. I yeah. Yeah. Here, this was a, the, before, yeah, so I'll wrap up my little section here. This is a quote from a uh, different National Geographic article. A critical evaluation of historical texts, including the publication publications of uh, the French um, abbot. Abbots, Mm -hmm. Francois Fabre and Pierre Pouchard, who we've mentioned already, Mm. revealed that neither this this animal nor any other wolf killed in Guevdon had anything to do with the attacks of the beast. Hmm. Nevertheless, there there were indeed a few attacks of rabid and non-rabid wolves on humans in Guevdon at that time. So like we've said before, like wolf attacks did happen. But that cannot account for this. I see. Okay. Yeah. I was like, what are they trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I put a lot of stock into this whole hybrid dog wolf thing. Okay. I think that it does make some degree of sense, especially if you have human 
actors involved as well. So human players. And Cryptid Wendigo also steers in this direction too. Her personal theory on La Bête, or the beast, is that it was a French Mastiff slash Eurasian wolf um, hybrid. And her reasoning is as follows. Uh, She said that she believes it's a French Mastiff wolf hybrid trained by Jean Chastel, the man that killed her in the end. And she says that she also believes it was more than one beast. Mm. Um, A French Mastiff crossbred with a wolf would certainly confirm most of what was cited throughout the years of Labette's attacks. The ability to be trained, red coloration, stocky body, broad head, and chest of the French Mastiff. Add to that the predatory instincts, agility, speed, thick fur, white stripe down the chest, pointed ears, and large jaws for Eurasian wolf. (laughs) So, and then she kind of goes on to say that it's, there could have been selective breeding in secret. Uh, Jean Chastel was an innkeeper. He was a man that... He had people that he could rely on to run the inn, and he was also a known hunter. Um, Another suggested um, thing to add into this that wasn't part of her theory was from that Animal X uh, documentary we watched on the subject, and they basically said that Jean Chastel's son uh, is hypothesized to have been the actual trainer and that he actually had a lot more psychopathic tendencies than his father. Okay. So maybe it's a case of... The son going out, letting loose on these, you know, whatever, could have been commissioned by someone else, a count that also plays into this whole conspiracy theory thing. And they basically had this sadist ring of terror and they trained these wolf hybrid creatures, set them loose on the countryside. Supposedly you can like kind of trace a, a, a pattern of the attacks that would maybe correlate to someone actually directing the attacks. Okay. And that maybe it was a case of Jean Chastel being like, I'm putting an end to this. This is my son. And he just majorly screwed the pooch. And like, you know what I mean? Like we need to correct this perhaps, or maybe he was involved too. Cause in her, in her theory, she thinks that <sighs> Jean Chastel, he never took the cash and she thinks he never took the cash because he didn't need it because he was now known as this beast slayer. So his inn had a new reputation. He would have a lot more people coming in and he could, be more profitable as a business owner that type hmm. of thing yeah so that's that's her pet theory and i like it a lot I of mean, people like yeah the animal x doc people like there was this guy michelle Luis that they interviewed or louis i think it was and he had a lot of similar things to say and he included that guy the count jean francois charles de Montier. i don't right. even know if i said that right that was but. pretty good sounded good <laughs> apparently he's described as a perverted rich aristocrat who is a sadist fiend and also against the king of france so it's um alluded to that he was the ringleader right for this whole thing man that's just so like what a bizarre thing to do though like if you are Crazy. sort of against the king of france and just kind of like you know it's just very strange like it's such a rural place very like definitely somebody with psychopathic tendencies but even so it's impressive at the same time because it's like you literally domesticated wild wolves and well allegedly and then bred them over a period of three years and trained them maybe before so and then when they started to the killing started to occur that's when they were releasing them maybe i guess how the heck do you even go about training that though like you just you you get like drifters and have them attack them and I don't know. Time to a tree and... I'm thinking of, like, Hannibal, right? With Mason Berger, where he was, like, training the, the man-eating pigs. Yeah, and but he that's had to easy, get... though. You just, you just starve them, and then you shove a body in, and they'll eat anything. 
Yeah. It's not the same. Well, he was training them with the sounds of the screaming, too. Human screaming. He was training them to be attracted to that and to get hungry when they heard that sound. Mm. But maybe they're similar tactics. If anyone here is a dog trainer and knows anything about dog behaviors and and the ability to crossbreed wolves, we'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Because it's a very interesting and bizarre theory. Very disturbing. I I still, with this theory, though, I I just, I still don't, like understand how with the with the sheer number of sightings attacks and then obviously deaths that even if it is a hybrid of a wolf and a mastiff it's like people would be able to identify that mm, you think, like yeah. it's two canine like species that have where does the mean? mane like, come in like you know like the dark well, down the back exactly too, that like... sounds almost like more husky like we have a half we have a malamute wolf husky in the family mm-hmm. and uh it looks like a husky obviously right yeah. like but it's like if that was crossed with something that didn't have those super dominant husky features or something like that, it would still look like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's. But it depends how many revolutions, like how many litters. That's true. How many generations? I, I'm just saying. It seems like it <laughs> seems like the description is like much more out there. We got the Chihuahua out of the wolf, so I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of um, like you know like phenotypes that can occur through. No, for weird, sure. Spontaneous. For sure. But there's ones that just don't match. The long claws, the the flat head. Like that, sure, the, the Mastiff has a flat-ish head, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as like a lion skull. I wish you could just cross those lines like the dog cat. Dog cat, yeah. Dog cat. Dog cat hybrids. Because <laughs> that seems most likely. Yeah, that's some serious clickbait topic right there, right? <laughs> Check out this new chihuahua. Oh, yeah. In Chihuahua, Mancun. Yeah, just get it back to this whole conspiracy, the idea that there could have been a criminal ring against the crown and against the French people that was directed by this count. Right. Uh, it's interesting to think that Jean Chastel was one of the best hunters in the region and one of the only people with a gun. And analysis says that uh, he could have killed the beast a lot sooner, supposedly, since he was right in the heart of these beast attacks. But he waited three long years. Did he do that on purpose? Did he do that just because he wasn't really involved initially? Like, you know, like, wh- or just what's his he degree? Was absolutely nuts. Like, because that, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you wait that long? Another thing we didn't really, like, we've touched, alluded to it along the way was just the idea that there could have been either a serial killer or a few different ones. Multiple. That yeah. kind of just took advantage and, like I said, piggybacked on right. the beast. Yeah. So. It, there is this idea that there's a common serial killer pattern involved here. If there was a person involved, it's killing in your own backyard. Yeah. They were probably from the area. Yeah. Uh, in all likelihood, if you look at the spread of the kills, that probably would seem to them in that time to be a wide net. You know what I mean? So in that sense, they might not have thought of it as like, oh, this is my backyard and whatever. Yeah. But in reality, like, it's no, quite honestly. small. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. No, for sure. You would have to be quite mobile, though, even so, right? For it to be a person and to not know, like, for no one else to notice that they're going about doing this, like, and to f- and to salesman. and to convince people that it's still a beast doing it, yeah, and to never be seen and anything like that, like that's something else. And it's man, this if if you believe in the supernatural element and somebody taking advantage of the fact that there's something going on that's very violent and whatever else, then holy moly, is this region at this point in time in history just the most like messed up place mm. in the world because you'd have serial killers capitalizing on ferocious attacks and potentially a either demonic entity that's killing things for fun Mm -hmm. or a supernatural creature 
that needs to eat human flesh. Mm, like the Wendigo. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, though, like, uh, just to pick on Jean Chastel a bit more. Um, well, not me, I guess. Patricia Briggs, uh, author of the novel Hunting Ground, featured Jean Chastel as a character. And supposedly in this book, he actually plays the beast. So he plays himself and he is the beast. He's a werewolf. And it's interesting because the plot goes that he's threatened by this uh, authority or I don't even know. And so he stops hunting humans openly. And then that's when he decides to take credit for the death of the beast by killing a large gray wolf. And then he continues to prey upon the human population, specifically women and children, in a more subtle way. (laughs) But that's interesting, hey? Like, there's so much. There was also a movie, The Brotherhood of... Guevdon, I think it was called, or the Brotherhood of the Beast, maybe? I never heard of that. I never came across that Uh, one. I was talking to Cryptid Wendigo about it. But, yeah, apparently it's all French subtitles. Oh, no, you did mention that. Yeah. Yeah. should check it out anyway, Mm. just for the heck of it. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite theory, though? (sighs) Well... Where are you you lining up here? Okay. I... Initially, like, I was kind of in the... um, Take, uh, the, mm. his his kind of things in the sense that like it does sound like it's it's a it does sound like a lion. It sounds like a big cat of yeah. some kind. The tail, the claws, the size, the coloration. I get what um, Crypto Windigo saying with the hybrid with a mastiff. Definitely coloration would match. Tail potentially would match. I mean, you'd have to see how a wolf tail ends up going together in a hybrid and that's the other question too mm. it's like which end is that like which end is which is it um, is it a female mastiff or a female wolf? oh yeah and what and what difference would that make potentially yeah. you know what i mean um i think i'm leaning towards a big cat mm-hmm. and whether it's i don't know if it's supernatural um because obviously that like yeah same as the abc episode like people were bringing exotic animals into the country mm-hmm. um the question is whether or not something could have survived for three years um, and either, you know, already had been pregnant and then there's offspring that are hunting as well, or if it's just one thing for three years, just kind of getting its good three years in and then it disappears or it's shot. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, is if it was shot, you'd know. It, it would it would be a cat. Yeah. Right? So that's just a, yeah. that's the part to me that makes it feel supernatural. Mm-hmm. I'm still on the fence. I don't know. Definitely not wolves, in my opinion. But, you know, even if it was a, just a regular big cat, you don't find the bodies of these things Typically like when they die. Not, no. They go, like, even, like, house cats will go underneath. They'll hide in dark crevices to go die. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm imagining there would have been a quite comfortable layer of this beast. Right. In, in a very dense bog in a wood. Right. Oh, and one fun fact I never mentioned was I believe it was Jean Chastel's son or someone in his family who was at one point arrested by the crown because he had led in one of the hunts in one of the chases he led the king's men into a bog and they got horribly stuck or whatever no way crazy yeah and and some people thought he was sabotaging Sabotaging them i i honestly i could be wrong about being chestel's son but i believe and that might have added to the image of him being sort of psychopathic to a certain extent or being more sympathetic to the beast. Well, and it would make sense, obviously, for, yeah, hating the crown, too, because they would have known that uh, King Louis really needed this to end because Mm -hmm. it would have made him look half-decent because he wasn't looking so good Mm -hmm. at the time. Like, they had just, they lost Canada and a whole bunch of their overseas territories. Like, they were not doing great. Like, people, 
People were looking down on King Louis. It's a rough time. Yeah. What about you? What's you? Ha- you, if you had I to definitely. Something? I am leaning towards the big cat theory as well. Yeah. I think that's pretty plausible. But it's funny how that never came up though in anyone else's like in that analysis that we found. Like obviously there are no like uh, there's no like cougars in the same same as like the North American cougar here mm-hmm. in this region of of southern France and things like that lynx i didn't actually see that um but oh, they're small right? no and they're bob tailed um, yeah so really. they're too small yeah yeah but i mean it's like if it's something interdimensional where is this happening i mean obviously it's isolated so if there is something in in the mountains here that's like where because where are these creatures coming from if it's not um a hybrid animal being raised by jean chastel well there's the whole the talk the idea that it was a private menagerie that they just escape from like or like he had or like yeah private menagerie with like multiple we should look lines. into private zoos and circuses at the time of we might have to do killing. a bonus episode I think. we might yeah well if we get any response from anyone out there with uh, any of the call outs we've done yeah i would love to do some more definitely this is a really really it's a hot topic it is yeah no and that and that does make sense though like if you had say four or five pet lions because you're you a rich frenchman and then over three years they all you're like, I'm over this. See you later. You're out in the... <laughs> you'd, think, you'd think people would call them out. Eventually. Think, They'd be like, excuse think. me, you had a different line last week. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. Yeah. Well, well, that's wraps her up, eh? Yeah. The best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, feel free to get us on our social medias. Uh, the Instagrams, Twitter, uh, Into the Portal 1 on Twitter. Yeah, and Into the Portal into the Podcast. Por- yes, uh, yes, ma'am. Come follow us. Like, yeah, come... And chat. Our group on Facebook is getting pretty active yeah yeah we love it it's awesome and we're gonna start trying to curate more articles that Mm -hmm. there's more opportunities to discuss things and for all of you that are already in the group or those that haven't but they want to join in and talk about all this cool stuff feel free to post articles like we're gonna be more active on there we're gonna be posting some stuff from the pine barons institute because they have a lot of really cool articles definitely definitely and from critical indigo as well so look forward to those this week and and beyond Yeah, absolutely. So once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will be back again next week. Next week.